to three places in the Word of God today, to Acts chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and Ephesians chapter 1. We have just a couple of more weeks now in this uh, series, Union with Christ, One with Christ Jesus. This week and then next week we will conclude as we share the Lord's Supper. We begin with Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus, and for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I think my microphone might be a little hot. And then to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Great passage, and we'll begin here with verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, oh, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in one body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow greater honor, and our presentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Which way are you going, little man? No problem. He's perfectly fine. I love it when kids do that, by the way. Uh, just, uh, just so you know, I love to have the kids come up. Anyway, 
Where am I at? Uh, but God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you, this is y'all in, in Greek, y'all are the body of Christ and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administrating, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you a still more excellent way. And then finally, to Ephesians, the first chapter. We'll pick up there with verse 15. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come." And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Well, we know the story of Saul on his way to Damascus. Yeah, many of you know about Saul. He was a, a Pharisee of Pharisees, and he decided that he was going to persecute the followers of the way. Now that meant Christians. That's the word that they used for Christians before Antioch, because Antioch was the first place that they were called Christians. And so Saul had received instructions from the authorities that he could go into Damascus and if he found any Christians at all in Damascus, whether they were men or women, he could bind them he could, and take them prisoner and bring them back to Jerusalem for trial. And so he's on his way to Damascus, as we know, riding along his horse. All of a sudden, the light shone, shines around him. The people that are with him, they know that something's going on. The light shines around him, uh, and, and he falls on the ground, and he's blinded. And this voice comes out, and it says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, of course, Saul replies, okay, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus who you are persecuting. And that was the beginning of Saul's great transition and transformation from the arch-persecutor of Christians to the, one of the greatest apostles and the most influential people in all of Christian history 
Uh, and it's a tremendous thing. But there's one aspect of this story that is very easy for us to miss, yet is extremely important. Who does Jesus say that Saul is persecuting? He could have said, uh, who are you? Uh, he, Jesus could have appeared to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting my people? He could have said, Saul, why are you persecuting my followers? Why are you persecuting my disciples? Uh, why are you persecuting the church? Uh, why are you persecuting the baptized? Why are you persecuting any number of things? But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Me. You see, there was a dynamic of what Saul, who later became Paul, was doing in his persecution. He did not recognize that when he was persecuting the people of Jesus, when he was persecuting the followers of Jesus, he was actually persecuting those who were in union with Jesus Christ. He was persecuting Jesus himself. And we've seen this as we've looked these last number of weeks at union with Christ. We see that we come into union with Christ when we're saved by grace through faith. That our salvation is actually because Jesus comes and dwells in us and we dwell in Jesus. As Jesus says, He is in us and we are in Him. And that really is the very definition of salvation. Being united with Jesus Christ. And because we're united, united with Jesus Christ, we have that salvation. We have the experience of His death and resurrection. We are justified. We are sanctified. We are adopted. We are preserved. We are glorified. We receive our full inheritance, all not because Jesus did something in isolation to us, but because Jesus united Himself to us in our salvation. And not only did Jesus unite Himself to us individually, Jesus also united us to Himself corporately. Together, we are united to Jesus. And we saw that last week as we looked at the bride of Christ, how in the words of Jesus, we have become one flesh with Him. In the words of Paul, rather, we have become one flesh with Jesus. We are fully united with Jesus so that Jesus is united to us uh, eternally as a husband is united to his wife. We don't understand that mystery, but it is a reality Every bit as much as we are united individually with Jesus, the reality is that we are united corporately with Jesus Christ, and you cannot distinguish the individual union with Jesus from the corporate union with Jesus. Because it's all part of the same union with Jesus Christ. And this is the thing that John is telling us, and this is the reality that Paul is telling us, and this is the reality that's forming within us. This means that ultimately, the church of Jesus Christ, we who are the saints, and by the church of Jesus, I'm talking about those who are saved, not some institution, but I'm talking about the collection of those who are saved 
the collection of those who are in union with Christ Jesus, the church is part of the gospel. It's not just a consequence of the gospel. For too long, I remember when, when I was young, the way we pronounced, said the message was, you need to come, surrender your life to Jesus, follow Jesus, and join a church. That somehow, the first thing was, we followed Jesus, and if we followed Jesus, we would join the church. Uh, there was a similar message many times. Many times people said, come, have your sins forgiven, and then get sanctified. You see, the problem is that when you look at the reality of union with Christ and everything that the New Testament is saying about this reality, you don't get justified and then sanctified. You get justified and sanctified. You don't get justified, sanctified, and adopted. So as, you know, if you're not really sanctified enough, you don't get really adopted fully doesn't work that way. You get justified, you get sanctified, and you get adopted all together because all together you get united with Jesus. And so you don't get saved and then you go to the church. You get saved and you become part of the church. You cannot be saved if you're not part of the body of Christ. You cannot be saved if you're not part of the body of uh, the, the bride of Christ. You cannot be saved unless you're connected with the church. And this is a mystery of salvation. How somehow when we come into union with Christ Jesus, we come into union with one another as the bride of Christ, as the body of Christ, you could say as the building of God, because that's a, a, another, uh, another metaphor that's used that we're not even going to explore in this series. But you become part of the church in the same time as you're justified, as you're sanctified, as you're saved. And that reality is something that you are united to. And when you hear people say that there's no salvation outside the church, that's what they mean. If you're outside the people of God, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, you're outside salvation. In other words, you cannot be a member of a body that you're not connected to. At the end of the day, I don't take off my left arm and put it in a pile somewhere else and say, oh, that's my left arm sitting over there. If I cut off my left arm, it's no longer part of my body. I could say that was once my left arm, but I can't say it's my left arm right now because it's sitting in a pile over in a corner. And so you cannot become a Christian unless you are part of the body of Christ unless you are a member of the body of Christ. And that's the message that Paul is giving us very, very clearly there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He's saying, we are all, you all are the body of Christ, and individually, you're members of it. It's like we're all a finger or a toe, or, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to be a zit. I, I'd rather not be a skin cell, but you know, you never know what we are. You know, we all, we're all a, a part of the body. We're all a member of the body. We don't always know our connection. We don't always feel our connection. We certainly don't always affirm our connection. But the reality is, as soon as you're saved, as soon as the Spirit of God comes and comes inside of you, 
dwelling within you, you are immediately part of the body. That's what Paul was meaning when he said, we're all baptized in the same body. We've all been given the same spirit to drink. There's not several manifestations of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. There is one manifestation of the Holy Spirit throughout the entire body of Christ. And this is our reality. So just as we are united with Christ individually, we are also united, also and simultaneously united with Christ corporately. And one of the primary metaphors of this is that we are the body of Christ. Now there are a number of reasons why we struggle with this. It really doesn't sit well with a lot of people. In fact, many people in and evangelical churches around the world have a very weak view of the church. They have a very weak understanding of the church. Uh, and not only evangelicals, many liberals have a weak understanding of church too. You know, they kind of put church as this catch-all thing that all you have to do is join up and somehow you're part of the church. But neither of those really represent reality. But we do struggle with this. Why do we struggle with it? Well, first of all, we struggle with this because we like self-sufficiency and individualism, especially in the West. You know, we're taught, stand up for yourself, get your education, stand on your own two feet. And so this idea that we are mystically and corporately united to Jesus sits very uncomfortably. Because if we see that, we say, well, you know, I can't really be me, and i got to be me. And, and we're, we're, we wrestle with that. By the way, that's a lie. You become most fully you in union with Christ and in union with the body, by the way. We also struggle with it because of consumerism. Because, let's face it, you know, if... if Many churches, individual churches like this, were the body of Christ, you know, we'd say, well, golly, you're kind of fat and ugly as the body. You know, so I, I would really rather go and pick a group of people that I can be body with. You know, I'd rather pick a group of people that I can be bride with. But the truth, as Paul tells us there in the text, is that God is the one who puts us in the body. God is the one who assigns us, whether we're an eye or an ear or a toe or a foot or, or whatever we are. It's God that puts us in the body. It's God that assigns us there. And you don't have the ability to be a consumer when it comes to these things. You can't say, oh, you know, I don't like being a tongue. I'd much rather be a bald head. You don't have the freedom to say, well, I don't really care to be a knee. I'd rather be an elbow. You can't do that because God does it. So it takes out this whole consumeristic mentality that what I need to do is go find the perfect group of people and then mess them up by joining them. We also struggle with this a bit because of this pseudo-intimacy that's created with social media. Many people get on, and I'm not against social media, by the way. 
But many people get on social media and they got Facebook and they got Twitter friends and everything like that. And they think because they've got 500, 1,000, 10,000 Twitter friends or you know, a million YouTube views or uh, a, a, a thousand Facebook friends or you know, uh, 10,000 Twitter followers, 100,000 YouTube views, you know, somehow that because of all of that, you're connected with all those people and you have an intimacy with them. And that's a lie. It's a pseudo-intimacy, it feels like intimacy, but it's not real intimacy. It's not real intimacy, and, but the thing is, it's a lot easier than the real thing. If you want to grow really intimate with somebody, it takes a lot of work. It's hard, it takes time, and especially if you do that with people from other cultures like we do here at City Temple. You know, many church, if this was a church of just, you know, light-skinned English people, everybody would be able to get to know themselves, each other, pretty quick. But we're not, and thank God we're not that, by the way. And I don't want to be that. I'm not against light-skinned English people, by the way. Uh, but I don't want to be that. I want to be like Olashina. I want to be like Inchung. Oh, but it takes time to do that. But many people want this false intimacy of social media. We struggle with it too because of the messiness of a body. I mean, I saw how you responded when I said the word zit. The truth is, bodies are messy. And there are a lot of messy things that bodies do. You know one of my favorite verses? It's in, it's in Proverbs. I, I can never get you the reference. Uh, but when there is no oxen, the manger is clean. That's a great verse. Because you know what it means. It means when you got a bunch of oxen, you're going to be shoveling a bunch of stuff. But that's the reality. It's messy being a body. There's nothing nice and neat and easy and sometimes we creak and sometimes we wear down and, and we get tired and all these kinds of things happen and people don't like it so they struggle with the idea that we'd be the body of Christ and also we struggle because we often mistake institutions with the body. You know, the institution that is called City Temple is not the same as the body of Christ. But we who are saved, who are part of City Temple, are part of the body of Christ. So that we are the body of Christ, and we are part of the body of Christ, but our organization that's called City Temple is not the body of Christ. One way to think about it is that an organization is simply the clothes that you put on the body. And most places in the world, you need clothes for your, to protect your body, to care for your body, to provide for your body. In the same way, the church as the body of Christ needs organizational clothes, if you will, that will help us to serve together, love together, follow Jesus, and also will protect us from some of the influences that are coming around us. So even though people will struggle with the reality that we are individually and corporately united with Christ and become this thing called the body of Christ, it doesn't change the reality. We are 
the body of Christ, and individually members of it. Now this means that Jesus is the head. And what we know about the brain in a body is that the reality of the brain permeates the entire body. You can't just say that your brain is here in your skull. Actually, scientists know that your brain simultaneously is throughout your body, through the nervous system and everything that that the brain regulates in your body. In the same way, Jesus permeates the body. He's in constant union with every one of us in in the body. And if we didn't have him as the head, we would die. So we need Jesus. And this means, too, that because Jesus is our head and because we are in union with one another simultaneously as we are in union with Christ, it means we absolutely depend on one another and we have a vital connection to one another. You cannot survive apart from the body because you are part of the body any more than you can cut off your arm and your arm can survive apart from you. And so if we separate ourselves from the body, we are separating ourselves from Christ. It's foolish. And we can do nothing meaningful or significant unless we do it in connection with the body. In connection with the body. And because of this, mind-blowingly, as the church, we are the fullness of Christ who fills everything. Did you catch that? What Paul said in Ephesians. Which is his body, verse 23, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Do you get that? We collectively are united with Christ. We corporately are in union with Christ. And as that corporate union, we are the fullness of Jesus right now in the world. We're the fullness of Jesus. And this means that we are Jesus' means of interacting with the world and advancing the kingdom. Even though the church is not contiguous with the kingdom, the church and the kingdom are not exactly the same, the kingdom does not advance in its completeness apart from the church. We literally are Jesus' hands and feet. There was a time when everybody was saying that and I thought it was kind of twee. But actually, as you ponder it further, you are the hands and feet of Jesus. When you tomorrow go to work and you touch your co-workers, it's Jesus touching them. It's Jesus touching them. And when you go to work tomorrow as part of City Temple, you go to work, it's not only Jesus touching them, but you know it's also City Temple touching them as part of the body. This is why I can say when I go to places like Hungary, uh, as I did a couple of weeks ago, Czech Republic, and a couple of weeks I'm going to Malaysia uh, for about 10 days. When I do that, I'm not doing that as just me, an individual. I do that as part of this body. It is you going to Malaysia with me. It is you going to Hungary with me. It is you going to the Czech Republic with me. Because I am part of this body, this aspect of Christ's body, I never go anywhere without you. And you don't go anywhere without me. So that means I see what you're doing at home. No, that doesn't mean that. That means Jesus sees that, not me. So this is a mind-blowing reality that we have. 
And this has several implications for us. It means that we are what people see of Jesus. When you go to work and people see you, you are the Jesus that they will see. Everywhere you are, everywhere you go, every interaction that you have, you are the Jesus that people see. Just like our body represents us to the world. I mean, when you see me, you're not seeing my mind. When you see me right now, you're not seeing my heart. You're not seeing my emotions, but you are seeing my body. And this body is what expresses my heart. This body is what expresses my mind. This body is what expresses my emotions. This body is what expresses my intentions and my desires. And in the same way, this body is what expresses the desires and the intentions and the heart of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who is our head. This also means that we have no benefits of salvation in ourselves and by ourselves. If you're justified, you're justified corporately, not just individually. You're sanctified corporately. You're adopted corporately, not just individually. You're preserved corporately, not just individually. You're glorified corporately, not just individually. Every benefit of salvation that we have personally, we also have corporately, and we cannot separate the two. It also means that we are never complete in ourselves and by ourselves. I am not a complete person apart from the body of Christ. Just as I am not a complete person apart from my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And it also means we have no ministry just by ourselves and of ourselves. All the ministry, all the produce, all the fruit of our lives comes through our real and vital connection with Jesus Christ and with one another in the body of Christ. And this is an amazing reality. So what do we do? How do we respond to this? Well, I'd like to suggest just four things briefly. First of all, this means that we must submit ourselves to Jesus and to one another. Paul says later in, in, in Ephesians 5.21, submit yourselves out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, when I came to City Temple, I submitted my hopes. I submitted my dreams. I submitted my desires to this body. And at that moment, you know, I wasn't coming to City Temple to say, this is great, I'll be at City Temple for a year or two, and then I'm going to go on to bigger and better things. When Christ united me to this body as part of His body, He united my hopes and my dreams, my reality with this group of people until the day that He decided not to and to unite me with something else. We must submit ourselves, and I chose to submit myself all of this. I chose to invest my life here because it's where God called me. And this is what we all are called to do. We submit to one another. We cooperate with one another out of reverence to Jesus. The second thing, because we are submitting ourselves to one another out of reverence for Jesus, we must 
connect ourselves to Jesus and to one another. Or probably it's better to say we must maintain our connection to Jesus and to one another. All of us get hurt from time to time. I have never met a Christian who has not been hurt by other Christians. Uh, If there's any of you here as a Christian who has never ever been hurt by another Christian, if you would pray for me afterwards for healing, that would be great. I don't think anybody's going to be praying for me. Because the reality is, we hurt each other. You know, it's a bit like me doing, ow! We do that all the time. Ow! It's like, it's dumb, you know, doing that stuff. And I just say, don't do that! You know, hitting ourselves and everything. But we do that, and it hurts. It's not pleasant. But the answer when my left hand smacks my right hand, is not to rip my left hand out of its socket and throw it on the ground. The answer is to learn how to connect more effectively and maintain this connection in a healthy way. And that's the same is true for us. We have to learn how to maintain our connection with one another in Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean that for the rest of your life you'll be here at City Temple. The body of Christ goes beyond City Temple, and I know that God can move people around and often does shift them from place to place and from time to time, and that's His prerogative because the Holy Spirit does it. And I trust Him to do that. But while we're all here, we need to learn to keep our connection active no matter how much we don't like each other, no matter how much we get tired of each other, we have a responsibility to maintain our connection to one another. Third thing, we must steward ourselves in our relationship to Jesus and to each other. What do I mean by this? Well, Peter tells us in in 1 Peter chapter 14 that we should use the gifts that God has given us, those spiritual gifts, to bless one another as a steward of the grace of God. Each one of us has been given a grace. Each one of us has been given spiritual gifts, sometimes one, sometimes more than one, sometimes none for a season, but we have spiritual gifts. Each one of us has talents. We have abilities. We have experiences. We have education. We have, uh, have life experience. We have emotions. We have perspectives. You can go on and on and on. Our responsibility is to steward everything that we have, every resource that we have, every gift that comes from the Lord, every talent that we have, every connection that we have. We are responsible to steward it, to manage it, to care for it, so that we bless the body. If you are not using you as a person to bless the body of Christ, you're walking in error. And so the key is to say, God, how am I supposed to do that? How do I do that? And not only do that here on a Sunday or when we gather together, but also do that during your work day throughout the week. Finally, speaking of that, we must serve others and do good. We are the body of Christ, which means that our responsibility, as Jesus did, is to go out into the world, heal the sick, raise the dead, set the captives free, multiply, lead, 
make disciples, do everything that Jesus did because we're his hands and feet. So our responsibility tomorrow as you go to work, every day when you come home, our responsibility is to do good, as much good as possible wherever we are. Because we are the Jesus that the world will see. And at the end of the day, the proclamation of the gospel that we do, the sharing of the gospel that we do on a daily basis is bound up with the proclamation of the church. Our reality is that because we are united with Christ and Christ is united with us, that we are the most sacred assembly of persons in creation. And we are the body of Christ. As the body of Christ, let us take Jesus into this world so that in union with one another, the prayer of Jesus in John 17 might be fulfilled. That all the world will know Jesus is Lord. Father God, thank you so much for your word and for your ways. Thank you for this reality that we are the body of Christ. I pray, Father, that you'd help us to go deeper into that reality with one another. Help us to fathom it in all of its depths so that we might walk with you as the body of Christ. We love you and we praise you and we exalt you. In Jesus' name, amen.